Hello and welcome to River Writers, a production of the Writers Guild of Astoria, a 501c3 nonprofit supporting writers and the literary arts in Astoria and the Lower Columbia region. I'm your host, Marianne Monson. Aired the second Monday of each month at 9 a.m., River Writers provides a chance to peek behind the curtain at the craft of writing. What motivates writers to do the work they do, and what have they learned through their creative process? I'm excited to have in the studio with me today historian, author, and cartoonist Alyssa Grabiel, who recently released her first book, A Memoir with Red Hen Press. Welcome to the studio, Alyssa. Thanks, Marianne. I'm so happy to be here. Thrilled to have you, and congratulations on the new the new book. Thank you so much. It's The title is Floppy, right? Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, so the full title is Floppy, Tales of a Genetic Freak of Nature at the End of the World. And it's one of the first books to explore the emotional landscape of chronic illness and disability, in particular, um, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, from a patient's perspective. There are very few books out there right now about this condition that are not medical books, you know, for practitioners. So I'm hoping that will resonate with a lot of people who either have chronic illness or EDS. And let's see, it won a publication award in 2020. So it won the Red Hen Press Nonfiction Book Award. Congratulations. Thank you. It was very exciting. exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, then two and a half years for the publisher to do all of their machinations behind the scenes to get it ready. And it comes out May 30th or it will have it will have come out on May 30th by the time this airs. Yes. Yes. (laughs) It came out on May 30th. Well, congratulations again. And it's been getting some really great press, I believe, and some accolades, some especially from like feminist communities, right? I believe there was something along those lines. Fill in the details. Yeah, so it it was on Ms. Magazine's list of the most anticipated feminist books of 2023. So that was really exciting. And then it was also reviewed in a couple of trade library journals, book list and library journal. And I'm a librarian, so it was like it was a huge deal to get my book reviewed in those in those places. Absolutely, it's a huge huge deal in general. So yeah, it's getting a lot of it's getting a lot of momentum, and I'm excited to see what what happens. Yeah, I'm so excited for you. That's just wonderful. And of course, the it 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 is a memoir, right? So it's detailing your own experience. Mm -hmm. How was it to write about something that was so deeply personal? Well, the the first draft was the hardest because that's when I was really doing the digging about things. But, you know, like by the time I was writing the book, I had already processed a lot of the stuff around my condition. Um, I had done a lot of therapy. So th- the writing itself didn't wasn't really therapeutic in the sense that I didn't have new stuff to ex- ex- excavate. Um, but I, it did help me to sort of contextualize myself, you know, and and talk about my condition and myself in, an, in a new way. And I definitely learned things during the process, for sure. Um, and, then, and then, of course, the subsequent drafts were just, um, you know, all the polishing work that goes into it. They weren't quite as filled with discovery, shall we say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so for listeners who don't know, can you just give us a little uh, bit of of understanding around what Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome is and how it impacts you? Mm-hmm. So Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome is a connective tissue disorder that affects collagen in the body. So, and 
people don't always know this, but collagen is everywhere. So it's in joints, skin, organs, just all over the body. So it can manifest in very different ways for different people. I personally have a lot of sort of subluxations, which are almost like dislocations of the joints. And for me, because I have classical Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, it, I also have a lot of effects in my arteries and sort of veins. And I've had, um, I've had an artery dissection, which is when the artery splits open and causes a bunch of strokes, um, transient ischemic strokes. So I have to be really careful about like my posture and how much I push myself. So it's really, it's day to day, it's very much front and center so that I don't, you know, accidentally kill myself. Um, but yeah, I mean, I look healthy. So not every people who don't know me, you know, look at me and see a very healthy youngish person. Which I imagine can sometimes cause problems, right? In terms of people maybe assuming or expecting you to do more than you're actually able to. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of expectations and and mostly I've had to do a lot of work on myself. Like, cause I know people assume like, oh, you're flaky if you say you're going to come to something and then you don't go. Or you're being lazy if you can only do this one thing. Or you're being rude because you're leaving early. And so I've definitely had to do a lot of work on myself of sort of like digging into that internalized ableism because I would... I would be that way with myself too. Like, oh, Alyssa, like you're such a lazy person. Just stick it out. And um, that's not a great, it's not a great long-term strategy, you know? Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And I think especially as women, we're often conditioned to kind of people please or do what other people want rather than, you know, identifying what is really right for us. Mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. So the book explores all of these things, right? It explores, because Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome is, um, often difficult to get a diagnosis, a correct diagnosis for, right? It's often misdiagnosed or overlooked. I think there's been a lot more awareness of it in the last few years. Would you say that's true? For sure. Yeah, it's hugely overlooked. And I know so many people who've spent decades with all these unexplained, quote unquote, unexplained health problems, um, only to have it dismissed by doctors and people not believe them. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of growing awareness, which is really exciting. I had a bit of a different trajectory in that I was diagnosed when I was 10 years old, just by fluke in like a, an emergency room. I had a, I was in emergency rooms a lot. I happened to have a doctor who recognized it. Wow. And so that was really lucky. And back in 1992, there were very few, there was even less awareness than there was now. So there were basically no treatments um, that I was able to access. And so I really internalized this idea that there's nothing there's nothing that anyone can do to help me. Mm -hmm. So I really internalized the idea. I just have to ignore it. I just have to push through. I just have to mind over matter it, you know. And, I mean, that carried me pretty far. But then, of course, I, I hit a wall a couple dec decades later. That's basically what the book is about, like that internalized mindset of, like, just ignoring it. It's almost toxic positivity, but more like just dissociation, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and then the whole process of kind of homecoming to my body and and taking care of myself and and kind of looking back at all the ways that I was doing sort of absurd things in the sense that I was so disconnected from my body like e extreme overworking extreme like situations that I got myself into that even if I was able-bodied and was listening to myself I probably wouldn't have gotten into yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and for you it didn't end up being sustainable right yeah I hit a wall when I was around 30 where I just like my chronic pain spiked and I had to change careers and I could barely I could barely walk 
So, and I hadn't had any treatment, you know, so I just, I kind of went back into the medical system raw with no, I didn't even have primary care because I'd been living in Canada for 12 years before I moved back here. So kind of had to start from scratch and um, figure all the things out. So in a way, my journey was pretty similar to people who waited decades in that way and that I kind of was starting from zero, even though I knew I had this thing, I just pushed it out of my mind really well. Yeah. Yeah. Until, until you couldn't. Mm -hmm. So, um, thanks for kind of taking us along, you know, the evolution of, of that path. And I'm curious, how did your artistic career and your artistic, you know, work, uh, develop in relationship to that other, that other path that was unfolding? Were you always a writer? Were you always an artist? Because I know you do visual art as well, but how, right. how did that intersect? Yeah, well, I've always written primarily mm -hmm. fiction. And I don't feel like I really found confidence in my voice until I started writing nonfiction, until I sort of like, until I started taking like the storytelling tools of fiction and applying them to, you know, putting readers inside of non-fictional worlds. And what's interesting is that, process definitely like finding my writing voice definitely coincided with coming back to my own body and experiences it was mm. really around the same time um like I wrote the first draft of this book in 2017 and that was the first time I had written nonfiction. yeah and in terms of comics it was also right around the same time I had just written the first draft of floppy like I had done that big intensive push to get the first draft finished and I was really tired. I knew I had to let the manuscript sit for a few months before I came back to it. And I just wanted something to do that was visual and new and fun that I didn't know anything about, that I felt like I had no skill in. You know, I just wanted beginner's mind. I wanted something really yeah. fun to do with my creative brain. So that's when I started drawing, drawing comics. And now I'm just totally hooked. I'm just fascinated by the medium and the process and how, how amazing it is that you can tell such complex stories by so few words because you have to be even more concise with your word choice in comics and very simple lines mm. I just um yeah comics is essential now to to my to my practice and I even think that drawing comics made me a better writer because mm. you really have to think about scenes visually and you have to be really intentional about w the details that you include the details that you imply the details that you kind of trust readers will fill in with their own brains mm -hmm. And you definitely have to do that in fiction, nonfiction too, just like setting the scene. Like, where are we? What do we see? What do we feel? What do we smell? Um, et cetera. Yeah, it's just a different method for storytelling, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think it's so interesting what you said, if I understood it correctly, is that you were writing fiction during those years where you were attempting to escape. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I think fiction is is a method to, it's a pretty reading or writing fiction is a pretty great method to escape and that it, that turning to nonfiction and starting to mine your own experience for your creative work and kind of turning to what is, um, parallel that own coming home to yourself and, and paying attention to your body and, mm -hmm. and understanding what it needed. Yeah, and I think it was around that time, too, that I also sought out writing community. Uh -huh. Like, until then, I was really, I mean, I guess I had bought into that myth of the solitary, you know, artist working all by themselves yeah. in the attic or whatever. Um, but so my writing took off when I 
solicited input from other writers mm. and started building a community. I mean, that's that's just so, so essential. We need yeah. each other. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, and I think for writers, and our, many of us are introverts, myself for sure um, as well. So it's scary and it's hard, right? Mm-hmm. But it's absolutely true that we do need each other, that the work is not, is not created in a vacuum, right? For sure. And I mean, we also just need each other socially to have people who understand how difficult the process is at yeah. all the stages and and also just to have people who are awaiting your book when it comes out like people who right. are who know about it and who are excited <laughs> yeah 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 it, I mean at, at some point writing becomes like this place where you would really want it to be read right mm-hmm. and so it becomes this act of sharing and communication and connection um but it can it can be scary to get to that point yeah for sure <laughs> yeah I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the, what the writing process is like for you where do your ideas come from and, and how do you pro- approach revision and at what point do you start to bring the images in yeah so big picture process I'm definitely more of a a pantser than a plotter, meaning I sort of write by feel on the first draft, by what is emotionally resonant, what's most interesting to me. And then on the second draft is when I'm bringing in the spreadsheet and I'm putting all the chapters in and I've got the whole, you know, transformative arc and all the little scenes that get you there. But I find if I don't, I have to, it has to be a process of discovery for me as well on the first draft. Like if I already know if I'm going to write, I'm just, I'm going to get bored and not going to finish it because it's a long process. And if I'm not learning anything while I do it, um, kind of feels like pointless. So that's big picture. And then day to day, I, I definitely pace myself a lot in that I'll do short ish writing sessions interspersed with, say, going for a walk in the woods or just puttering around the house and then also intentionally holding headspace, like sort of get into sort of a meditative space where if little ideas come up from the writing session, um, I'm able to catch them and write them down. And I find that's super essential to the process because those ideas um, are really important. And if we, they're really easy to lose too if we're just going about the rest of our day. So I definitely find the writing process is sometimes writing and sometimes not Mm -hmm. even like there's a lot of times it doesn't look like I'm working but I am working (laughs) yeah yeah um and I mean luckily I have to pace myself physically too so I find like that that really informs the creative process like it helps helps my health helps my helps my writing so that's really great I mean it's something that I work with a lot with my writing um coaching clients too it's just how do we how do we how do you find out how do you find a flow for you in which even when you're not writing, you're making progress on your on your project or whatever it may be. Right. For those of you who are, who are just joining us, this is Marianne Monson for KMUN's River Writers, sponsored by the Writers Guild. This morning, I'm speaking with author Alyssa Graybill, who just had a book come out, a memoir called is Floppy, and we're talking about expand on process. in terms of your own process and what feeds your creative work. Yeah, I'd say the images come in, I often, if I get stuck, that's when the drawing and creating images really kind of gets me unstuck. I'm just like moving my hand across the page, even if I'm creating 
you know, nothing in particular, even if I'm doodling, just that movement kind of gets my creative brain going. Um, so far, my comics in terms of end products are usually just little like, you know, one page, four panel things where it's a memory that I want to remember or a, a line that somebody says that I think is funny. I haven't actually done long form comics yet, although I think that's probably my next project doing a hybrid of prose and comics. Um, Does Floppy have comics throughout it? It doesn't. Um, I drew. I drew the cover. They let oh, me do okay. the cover. Okay. Um, for a while there, I thought I was going to illustrate it, and I have a few illustrations that I thought I was going to put in there, but in the end, I decided to just keep it prose because that's how I first envisioned it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So, I mean, I think what is neat is that because you can go back and forth between you know visual medium and and writing, I can I can imagine that that would help to. When you're feeling stuck in one arena, it might be nice to just cross over. For sure, yeah. So are you from Astoria originally? And I'm curious about how the, you feel this area impacts your creative work. So I grew up in, in the Portland area, and then I moved to Canada, Canada when I was 18 to Montreal, and I lived there for 12 years. And then when I came back to the States, I wanted to be on the coast because this is just where I feel the best, like the weather, the rain, the ocean, the forests. Um, I just love this area so much. I was lucky enough to already have been working from home so I could take my work anywhere. And I mean, I definitely feel like the creative community here is essential. Like there's so many, you know, fascinating artists and writers and just the community and the vibe of you know, the ecosystem, both um, in nature and in people. I just really love it here. And because going for walks is so essential to my writing process, I mean, maybe if I lived in a place that was less beautiful or less access to trails, I wouldn't have as many opportunities to, like, get my creative neurons firing when I'm outside, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I agree with all of that. I think it is, it's a remarkable place to be a creative person here because it just feels so valued and appreciated and there's so many opportunities to share and be in conversations with other writers and artists. And I feel like you don't have to explain why you do what you do <laughs> the right. way you do in a lot of other parts of the world you know right you're yeah. not the odd one out to be an artist here everyone right. everyone's an artist here in yep. some way yeah <laughs> yeah it's true and um one of my favorite artists who actually lives in portland mark andres i studied with him for a while um he he's in Portland, but he paints Astoria often and shows in some of the galleries here. But anyway, he has said that Astoria as a town is like a an artist's still life set up like by a genius. <laughs> <laughs> I love that quote. It's so true. Oh my gosh, yeah, I love that too. <laughs> There's so many vistas you come around, you just turn the corner, you know, and you just the the angles of the houses and mm -hmm. it's just so beautiful. We're just yeah. so lucky to be surrounded by beauty almost everywhere you look. Yeah, and every block is different. Like, even mm -hmm. just coming up here to KMUN, like, I don't usually see the town from this way, you know, looking yeah. west. And I was like, oh, that's a beautiful new view that I've never seen so before. Yeah, I'm yeah. curious yeah. about uh, who some of your writing mentors have been over the years. 
So one of my big mentors is Ariel Gore, who she runs an online writing school called the School for Wayward Writers. And the online aspect definitely worked for me when I started taking classes with her. And that community community was instrumental both in giving feedback on floppy and then also just socially, just you know, making a bunch of writer friends who were writing similar similar types of work. And so someone else who I love is Linda Berry, who I've taken classes with. She is this incredible writer and cartoonist and teacher. And her joy and passion for the creative process really caught me and really hooked me. Um, she is incredible. Like if you want to draw comics in particular and you don't feel and you feel like, quote unquote, you can't draw. She's a really instrument like she can really get you over that fear of not being good enough. Um, and her and her writing is amazing, too. So she's just all around an amazing teacher. That's great. So I'm sure you feel really lucky to have had their influences in your life. Um, and I imagine as a librarian, I'm going to talk a little bit about how that I mean, that must have been so just wonderful to have to be around books. I know that it wasn't ultimately a great fit for you just in terms of um, you had to be on your feet a lot and things like that, like the physical parts of it. But mm -hmm. but how did that impact you? I mean, as someone who is already, you know, very much a bookish person and all around books, it just it seemed like a very and a very organized person, too. I do love the spreadsheets, despite the, sp the fact that I don't do that on the, on the first draft of a book. Um, I mean, it's a beautiful career because you're surrounded also by people who love books, like all of your colleagues mm -hmm. are book lovers. Um, yeah, it ended up not being for me just because I couldn't work full time out of the house. So being an administrator was not um, really in the cards. Alyssa, I'm wondering if there's a passage or a portion of the book that you could read for us today. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to read and a very short excerpt from the first chapter. And before I do that, I'll just give a disclaimer. Like, there's a lot of funny stories in this book. Um, there's a lot of lighthearted bits. It's not all heavy, like the piece that I'm about to read. Actually, a, um, a lot of the funnier stories were also have been in Rain Magazine over the last few years, too. So if you might recognize them if you've seen my work in Rain Magazine. But this particular excerpt is from the first chapter. And it's, the context is, I'm 10 years old, and it's right after I had, I was home alone, and I had just fallen down the stairs, which was a fairly regular occurrence for me at that age. I mean, even now, sometimes I fall down the stairs. In that moment, I had what glowed like a neon revelation about how I might stop being so difficult. The only way to not hurt myself was to move slowly every second. What if I walked in slow motion, like trying to run in the shallow end of a swimming pool? I could focus all of my attention on my purple Converse shoes, monitoring every step, watching for signs of betrayal. This idea resonated in my head like I'd been stuck by the truth, as if I'd stumbled upon mindfulness as the answer well before I'd ever heard the word. I'd never fall again if all I ever focused on was my very next step. And then my heartache redoubled at the impossibility of such caution. I knew from experience that self-protection required toughness, a numbing of all the places that hurt. I liked getting lost in my head. 
If I was extra sensitive every second, it would be all pain all the time. I wasn't trying to be difficult. I just wanted to be myself and not get hurt. Possible or impossible. I told myself to wrap up my pity party before anyone saw me, so I straightened my mismatched slouchy socks, one hot pink, one orange, and scooched down the rest of the stairs, grabbing my neon green scrunchie on the way. I made myself that ego and took it to the living room where I settled in front of the TV. Lying on the carpet with a blanket over the heating vent, I watched a documentary on PBS about the Maya prediction of the end of the world. The screen flashed black and red, images of fire and chaos. The narrator's deep voice sounded like the guy from Unsolved Mysteries, asking question after question. Were the Maya right? Will the world really end on December 22, 2012? I did the math. The year I would turn 30. When the show ended, I brushed the ego crumbs off the blanket and snuck back up the treacherous hardwood stairs to do the only thing that could soothe my whole aching body at once, running myself an extra hot bath and soaking until my fingers wrinkled and the water cooled. In the tub, my limbs floated free of the relentless weight-bearing pressure of the world. My fragility would increase as I got older, but maybe that didn't matter. Maybe I could scrape by with only bruises and stitches until I was 30. I sunk my head to let the hot water shiver my ears. It muffled and contained every sound, augmenting only my own heartbeat. I'd be okay after all. The apocalypse would get me before I degenerated. My cat Lucky sat on the edge of the bathtub, standing guard with eyes closed. My first bout of existential despair came early. I wanted to wear all black to school that year so everyone could see I was a deep thinker with awareness of the end times, but most of my clothes had big pink flowers, and my allowance wouldn't cover a more sophisticated wardrobe. It would be decades before I'd see sensitivity as a strength instead of a liability. Thank you. That's just beautiful. I love, I love like the the sense of humor and close observation that you see in your in your work and there's just a lot of gentleness too I don't know if that's the right word but that I I always really love when you read just like a a sensitivity to life that I really appreciate oh thank you thank you for sharing that with us congratulations on the the new book and I'm so excited to read it can you please tell our listeners how they can order it or go about finding a copy Yeah, so it will be anywhere books are sold, so online, wherever you usually buy your books. They'll also be in local bookstores, for sure, Lucy's, Godfather's, and Beach Books. Wonderful. And you can also find out more about the book on my website or on my Instagram, Alyssa Grabeel for the website, Alyssa J. Grabeel on Instagram. You can find out about future events and my comics and all that fun stuff. Great. And yeah, you are going to be doing a number of readings and author events. So the best place is on your website for them to find out the most recent events that are coming down the pike. Yeah, or on Instagram. And I do plan to have events sort of spaced out throughout the next year. Wonderful. That's so great. 
Well, congratulations again. And thank you, listeners, for joining us today on River Writers. And thank you to my guest, Alyssa Graybill, for sitting down to chat about her writing process and her new book, Floppy. The Writers Guild of Astoria is a 501c3 nonprofit organization promoting the literary arts and serving writers in the lower Columbia region. You can visit us at thewritersguild.org. Until next time, keep the words flowing and your pencil sharp. I'm Marianne Monson for River Writers.